Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, folks, welcome back to the Mountain West Wire football podcast. Full week, Matt, MWR.com's website. That's Matt, who I just said randomly, Matt. I'm Jeremy here, hanging out. This is our week one preview, part one, because me and Matt discovered last year with Thursday games, Friday games, and whatnot, we'd rather give a good chunk of time to all the games instead of, say, five minutes per game. So we'll do half the games today half the games tomorrow, whichever day you're listening to, or we can listen to a, a long 90 minute to our podcast of both of them. We're just splitting them up. So it's a uh, good amount there. Yeah. So to clarify for those people tuning in, first of all, to welcome if this is your first episode, <laughs> but you know, we're covering the first half of week one, which means that we'll be talking about the two Thursday games, Cal Poly and Fresno state, and then Portland state and San Jose state. And then we'll be talking about the, the, Four early games, four earliest games on Saturday, which are Texas State and Nevada, Colorado State and Michigan, Northern Iowa and Air Force, and Arizona and San Diego State. So for those games happening later on Saturday, don't worry. We've got you covered. That's in part two, which we'll be recording later on. Just hit play on this one, let it roll, and then listen to the other one later when it's your team. Problem solved. There you go. Before we get to this game stuff, did you uh, happen to see the college football playoff news today? I did not. As of today, ooh, August 31st. You did not, you've been so entrenched in your brighty, brightening the minds and helping uh, future writers do a good job. Yeah. <laughs> or doing your best job. Is that a better way to put it? I don't know. Something, something along those lines. Yeah, we'll go with that. Saying, do you remember the 12 team playoff? Craig Thompson, Swarbrick. Um, There's like the four person working group for the playoff. Do you remember what that yes. was last summer? Where we're like 
holy crap, they have a good idea. 12-team playoff, six highest-rated conference champs, meaning despite what Kevin Warren likes to say, every Power 5 team gets invited almost 99.99% of the years, unless it's COVID or a weird American biggie splintering. That might be back now. Interesting. There, there is a vote, a, ver- a scheduled, not unscheduled, scheduled meeting to Friday. Sorry, I'm trying to say like tomorrow, but no, Friday, September 2nd. And see also, folks, this is the way when I listen to both podcasts. There can be news like this, you don't know, if you just see the title. But it has to be, it has to be unanimous. But their plan would be to approve that playoff starting for the 2024 season, which is two. So you have the 2022 season, nor as is obviously 23 season, as is, which is Landy can't get a fix. But in the 2024 regular season, that could be a 12 team playoff with what I mentioned six automatic bids, the best conferences, and six other at larges. Mm-hmm. Yes, no. It's not bad. You, it's not bad. What version of the playoff do you want if there's more teams? I mean, I've always stumped for, for 12 teams personally. That's what this is. But I think that as long as it's more equitable, to me, that's really the most important thing. Like, you know, it- the, the, there's there's the argument that I understand from the from the stay at four crowd that's like, well, okay, if if the one versus four games are already bloodbaths, and what's the point of adding more teams? And you know, I, I guess I understand that. Uh, but at the same time, it's just you're you're still leaving a lot of people out in that case. And I think the the whole point is like, yeah, even if the product is more or less the same, even if the best teams are most likely to win, that's sort of beyond the point in a lot of ways. Give me a Bucknell, a St. Peter's, a George Mason. Swap that out for App State, Boise State, San Diego State, Northern Illinois. You're t- Plus, it's not a 1 verse 12. It's going to be 5 verse 12. You're telling me last year's rankings, Oregon versus Notre Dame would be a blowout, 5 verse 12? Or excuse me, that's this year. Sorry. Preseason poll, my bad. But if you go back to last year, we'll make this quick. We'll get to the games. I just wanted to bring this up to see if you brought out here. But the way it works, also the playoff, if you're a conference champ, you get a bye. And only and you have to be in your top four. So like, if you're Notre Dame ranked number one in the country, you're still stuck in the five spot. So that's a little mm-hmm. quirk. But look at last year, Ohio State versus Utah. That happened last year. And how good was that game? Five versus 12. Mm-hmm. That was one of, this is one of the best bowl games, right? Yes, it was. Just saying, Baylor versus Ole Miss. Who would want to see a 1,000 points in that game? If that were the case. Just going by top 12, not necessarily the conference. Um, yeah, it would be a little bit different just because of you'd have – well, no, actually maybe it wouldn't be because that would be set up. But you tell me you want to see Jordan Addison, Kenny Pickett, Going up against uh, Cincinnati or Michigan. That would have been fun. The stay at four crowd, get out of here. Because in March Madness, yeah, it's typically going to be a top four seed, a random Mich- Michigan may get in there, but they're like a nine seed, but they're Michigan a couple of years ago. But you're going to see a Memphis or some team. Like, look at all the teams. Like, last year's Utah team, like, they're not, not some Utah guy, but a little bit. But I listened to, do you ever listen to Andy Staples show at all? Uh, no, with no. him and you're kind of glad because Ari Washington can be a little bit unsufferable at times, <laughs> just because he's. Uh, oh, you mean you mean the guy who put Tulane in that all Group of Five yeah, conference yeah, yeah. a couple years ago? He's a How's recruiting guy right now. Yeah, he he's gotten a little bit better about this. He's like, I don't want this, but it's like it's more good games. But if you're looking at the bracket the way Utah was set up last year, where they were a, 
a decent, not a super high seed, but like a like right now twelve, they would play Ohio State. You're telling me they couldn't hang if they were to play Georgia or Michigan. It's like their way the path would go, or Cincinnati. They, they broke it down, like you get into it, but the way the bracket would have set up, you would have had like a, a path for Utah or Cincinnati, who are not traditional powers by any stretch, to get to the Final Four with not having to have like a major overwhelming upset. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're like the 10 seed and you're playing like last year, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, who would want to see that in the playoff? Come on. So we'll see if it happens. But I feel this is one of the more equitable ways to do it outside of my thought of every conference champion gets in just because that's the way it should be into 16 and six at large. But we know what this also does, Matt, which we can move on to our games. It will, the Big Ten impact will have like, well, we don't want this before money, blah, blah, blah. The alliance thing was a joke. That your equitable is the right term to use because with USC, UCLA moving on, with Texas, Oklahoma moving on, or yeah, Oklahoma to SEC, if they keep it wide enough, people are going to want to care about the ACC, which is Clemson and a bunch of nobodies, or whatever the Pac-12 will be without USC and UCLA, which has literally been Utah and Oregon the past couple of years. Like those schools, the new Big 12, they'll all be part of it and have a chance to get in there because if you if the guys want more money to watch TV for college football, you can't have it be like seven teams. So that gives the Mountain West hope and a playoff spot. Mm-hmm. Because it, can, it can be a number 10 seed some years, right? Top 10? Just saying. Yeah, maybe. So I pre, I'm glad that happened. I'm going to do a quick write-up on it later at some point, say, sooner than later. But I, I want to bring that news up with you because I'm like, that's some fun news. Because more, uh, uh, besides it being more good games, it would be fun. That's all I'm getting at. So I agree. All right, ready for games? Thursday night. Let's game. do it. Two games Thursday. We have – oh, crap, I moved on my schedule. But San Jose State and Fresno State are playing. It's Sac State and Portland State. I would, I should know the order. Who's your Bulldogs playing? Cal Poly in Portland I, State. Oh, man, I am terrible. I move off the schedule for five seconds and look what happens. You want to start with your Bulldogs first? Let's do it. So they are on FS1. It is a 7.30 local kick. And also, if you're new to the podcast, go back and listen to our – non-conference or conference team-by-team previews, Fresno, Cal Poly, we got into it there, but is it really? Okay, I know it's hot. You're in the Central Valley there. AccuWeather tells me on ESPN.com, it's 103 degrees. Is that really what it'll be at kickoff at 7.30 night? It's still that hot? Okay, so right now, it is August 31st. It is 8.15 in the evening here in, in, in Clovis, California. I'm about five-minute drive from Bulldog Stadium. Yeah. Uh, the current local weather says that it's 95 degrees outside. So, yes. So that, okay. With wondering. a forecast of 106 uh, cool. tomorrow. Um, Kill me. Which maybe, maybe thank your lucky stars because the following day it's going to be 109. Um, oh, gosh. Long story sorry. short, if you're going to be out there, hydrate, please. Hydrate. And, and I say this, and I say this from personal from personal experience too, I think it was like three years ago when they had the opener against Idaho. What well, twenty on the field, wasn't it? It broke the scale. Yeah, and then, and then more more recently, like you know, they had the what was it, the eleven a.m. kickoff last year against UConn. Yeah, still that hot. was still insane too. There's really so there's really no way around it. So, like I said, if you're going to be out there, please hydrate, keep yourself safe. Yeah, there is just get. $25 million, whatever, and build a stadium, a dome stadium. <laughs> hmm. Sorry. I'm just saying that, that that's a non-logical workaround. So what do we, so for Fresno State, 
Jake Hayner, Jalen Cropper, Jordan Mims. Also, I've heard too many podcasts say Ronnie Rivers is back. Matt, has he, has he secretly gained eligibility somewhere I'm not aware of? Uh, he is not. He's on the Arizona Cardinals unless he got cut, right? Yeah, I think he ended up signing elsewhere. I can't remember where, though. Oh, that's right. Oh, okay. That's right. I remember. Okay. But yeah, I heard that a few times. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I missing something? Because there's times I missed up big time. So I'm just wondering. So he's gone, which is unfortunate. But Jordan Mims is a uh, almost a carbon copy of him, but not quite as good at, at the moment. So what do we – you did our FCS minute. So what does Cal Poly bring? They're usually a pretty solid FCS foot team. It's a team from California because keep the money around. What's like the big thing you want people to know about this type, this game, Cal Poly? So the thing about Cal Poly is like, you know, they were always an okay team, but then like COVID hit them really hard. Mm-hmm. And so it's been sort of a really long climb back to respectability. Like last year, they only won two games. So, you know, there's a lot that they're going to have to like deal with as far as being able to sort of, you know, claw their way back, especially playing in the big sky, which, you know, top to bottom tends to be one of the tougher FCS conferences anywhere. So, you know, you look at last year when they were sort of, you know, coming back from an abbreviated spring campaign and, you know, they finished 115th in in the FCS ranks in yards per play, 4.33, which just for, for the sake of context, that's not good. Um, you know, 112th in, in turnover margin, they were minus nine on the season, 108th in, you know, converting under 30% of third downs and, and maybe even worst of all, just struggling to, to score when they had the opportunities to do so. They were 121st in that regard, red zone conversion rate. So, you know, on paper, I think it helps them or that it will help them in the long run that they do have a lot of key pieces coming back, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But the name of the game really is just going to be growth from, from everybody involved because, you know, their quarterback, for instance, Spencer Brash. Yeah. He started all last year, but I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say he was great. You know, he had, you know, two, two games last year where he had three interceptions, uh, only completed about 55% of his passes, 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions, but because he has targets around him to be able to sort of build around, you know, they have former Bulldog Chris Coleman down there. He was their leading pass catcher last year. He's back. You know, Zedekiah Centers is still around. Ryan Rivera, the tight end. Like, there, there are pieces there for them to be respectable. But I, I, the only reason I think this game is probably going to be a laugher is because I just don't know what the defense is going to look like. Um, you know, they're, they're leading, I think, I can't remember if he's their leading all-time tackler or just one of their, one of their, uh, leading recent tacklers, Matt Shotwell. He was like a multi-year starter. He would basically rack up a hundred tackle per year. You know, he's gone. And while they do have a couple of potential, you know, all-conference guys and, you know, Elijah Ponder, defensive end, uh, you know, this was still a unit on the whole, like, you know, Ponder was very productive. He's very good at creating havoc, eight sacks, 11 tackles for loss last year. But for a unit that still gave up over six yards of play and gave up at least 38 points in eight different games. So it's it's a defense that I think is going to be very much a work in progress for most of the year. And against a Fresno State offense that, you know, we already know all about them top to bottom with Jake Hayner, Mims, Jalen Cropper, everybody else coming back in that offense. You know, it would not shock me 
ultimately if this game ended up looking a lot like last year's game. It totally could. And when they noticed is looking who the head coach was, Bo Baldwin is there back in um, FCS ranks. He was in right. the past couple of years. He was at Eastern Washington, which had likes of, you know, Cooper Cup, ever, ever heard of him? Coach that guy, wide receiver. Probably in NFL, probably could have been, should have been MVP last year. It went to national title, but Cal's offense, it just never got going. So, but again, it's still early. Like you said, it's like, it's the second year's coach here, two and nine last year. So there's potential, maybe not quite yet this year, probably not where the offense would be a little frisky, but you're right. Like if they don't have anybody defense, um, it's uh, it's going to be a long night. They do have a, uh, an all, an all American, not by feel still, but it's their fullback, Ryan Rivera, not to disparage fullbacks, but the fullback Rivera is not square many points for this team. Yeah, it's not really the kind of difference maker that that a team no. like Cal Poly needs to to get back on track. Exactly. So probably a blowout, likely a blowout. So, but I think Baldwin can get them going in a couple of years. Probably next year, probably a better chance where they might move up a bit because he he's a good coach and going to Cal is just when your defense coached your head coach is a defensive guy and Justin Wilcox. You haven't had many things in the years. It just never worked out for me. There's just a million reasons for that being the case. Also, I should know. Yeah, I think. Uh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think the thing that might hold them back the most, if they're not careful this year, is just the fact that they're, the defensive line in particular, Cal Poly, is extremely young. And, and, and at least probably in this game, pretty undersized, too. Mm-hmm. You know, Ponder is a sophomore. He's, he's very productive. But, you know, everywhere else, you know, Thomas Buda, Josh Ngalufe, uh, and Robbie Greer, you're talking about, you know, a redshirt freshman and two other sophomores. So it's it's a unit that's definitely going to grow together. But against a, a fairly experienced Fresno State offensive line, you know, I think if I'm a Bulldogs fan, I'm just looking for a, a fast start, which I think would be very reasonable to expect. You know, if this is the kind of, you know, game where Fresno State's up 21 nothing by the end of the first quarter, I would not be surprised. Yeah. And one last thing here, there is a Fresno State player, Chris Coleman, who is now at Cal Poly. Just uh Yeah, I mentioned something. that. Oh, you did? Oh, my bad. I was must have been reading something when you said that. I was reading their notes a little bit more, so my bad. So watch for him to give you know I believe one of their cornerbacks is also a former Bulldog too, Dylan Wyatt, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just looking at their their notes page and have a giant picture of, of him on the face yeah. of Chris Coleman. He's pretty so, good. So, no, he is. I just must have yeah, reading and probably just only half heard that part. So Big win. Do you think what three touchdown minimum? Four touchdowns? Well, I mean, if you if you believe SP plus, did you see the did you see what SP plus had for that? No, I see FPI is a ninety six point six percent ninety six point six percent chance of win for the Bulldogs. Uh, let me yeah, guess. So, uh, so I'm, I'm looking at the entire graphic, and I think there are maybe two games the entire weekend with a with a wider projected margin than this one. Is one of them Utah State Alabama? <laughs> uh no as far as sp plus there's okay so number one and correct me if i'm wrong uh number one is bethune cookman at miami uh with a okay. 55.8 point Ooh. margin uh and then there's long island at toledo with a projected margin of 53.2 and then i believe number three is this game cal poly at Fresno State projected margin 47.2 wow I'm guessing. I'm guessing they're probably going to ease up at some point, but they're still going to win pretty handily. I've got Fresno State 49-14 in this one. I'll just say 40 to six. Why not? 
that's, uh, that's eminent, eminently reasonable. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Portland State on the road to San Jose State. I am inter- interested in this game because I want to see what Shavon Cordero can do. Throwing the ball to guys they have. But this game is 8.30 p.m. Of Mountain Time, seven thirty uh, Pacific Time. It is on. Oh, I didn't rent the TV down here. Shoot, it's not FS One. So, is so local Mountain West, no. locally, oh, local NBC. Yes. So locally, it'll be NBC Sports Bay Area. Can I watch elsewhere. it in Utah? <laughs> yeah. So elsewhere, it will be available on the Mountain West Network. So if you go to mwwire.com, you look at the game preview that I wrote personally. You're welcome. Um, you will be able to find the link to you know, go straight to the, uh, you know, go straight to the game. If you're planning on watching it on a laptop or on your phone, or you can download the app, which is available on both Android and Apple devices. And additionally, and I can't remember them all off the top of my head, but apparently the conference now has an, an app on a handful of different kinds of smart TVs now too. So you can hand, learn you more about that through the game preview. You can't see my hand raised, uh, but I'm raising a hand. When's the last time Mountain West has updated their app? Because I used it recently, and there was literally nothing on there besides like four months ago. Have you looked into that is this? <laughs> I honestly can't tell you. <laughs> okay. I just I remember looking during media day. I'm like, where's Craig Thompson's speech? I wanted to listen to it because I didn't get to see it live or listen to it. And there was zero media day coverage on the Mountain West app. So get your crap together, guys. I may have actually deleted it from my phone possibly. I'm looking right now. You've got to get on that, guys. Is it MWN? I, I'll we'll figure out later. But that's a whew. we guess what the link to the website will work perfectly fine. So there you go. So this game, Portland State last year finished five and six. They got um, what's his name, the coach Bruce uh, Barnum in there. But Bruce Barnum, Barnum. Sorry, Bar- not is he related to Barnum and Bailey? Is he a circus guy? I don't know. Just maybe, maybe not. Maybe. Well, okay. So I don't know if that's true, but he is maybe most famous last year for uh, paying a $14,000 beer tab for Portland state fans. I vaguely remember. What was that for just a victory or what was it? He he promised to pay the tab for anybody who came to the stadium. That's right. I I forget which game it was, but it was last September. Okay. I do remember that now it's like, come to the game. I'll buy you beer. Best coach ever. But the result, this game, this will be a tough one, but, but for San Jose State, I'm interested, obviously, for what I said, Shevon Cordero, Elijah Cooks, um, are they going to run the ball with Kyrie Robinson, how that's going to work out? I want to see them rebound from last year. I know most of it was injury-wise with having Nick Starkle hurt and Nick Nash come in to be a subpar quarterback and they're not ball eligible. That's what I want to see them, see if they get the offense clicking with a handful of new guys. Because Brennan's a good coach. 
because I brought up during as during our uh, one of our previews with him, did he regret not taking the Arizona job? And it's uh, at the moment TBD, but we'll see. I mean, I think to me, you know, it's it's easy to pay attention to sort of like the the, the glamour positions, but I think what I will most want to see is what that remade offensive line is going to look like. Because, you know, you're talking about a unit that's returning just one starter from, you know, a, a position or from a group that had been over the last couple of seasons, one of the more experienced units anywhere in the Mountain West. You know, now you got Jamie Navarro and a bunch of new faces, you know, and I think maybe the most interesting thing about this new look unit is, you know, I, I feel like this may come up elsewhere here and there later in this preview or in the next one we record. But like, have you seen how small the Spartans' offensive line is? It's not big. It's I gotta not. I don't have the their, average weight. Their entire couple, their entire two deep on the offensive line has one player that that checks in over three hundred pounds. For this game, not a problem. When they play San Diego State, that could be an issue. Well, okay, but here's the thing: it's not outside the realm of possibility that it could be a problem because Portland State, unlike Cal Poly actually has some pretty good playmakers on the defensive side of the football. You know, up front, I think you'll one potential matchup, and I don't know if it would be Navarro or, or maybe one of the, the the new offensive tackles, you know, uh, Fernando Carmona, James Fulton, handle like this. But they have one of the better defenders anywhere in the trenches in the big sky in VJ Malo. Ten sacks, yeah. 20 tackles for loss last year. Some, somehow only a second-team all-conference selection, though. What? Come on, get to act yeah. together. All, oh, guys. oh, and also he forced three fumbles. Yeah, and that's just like that's just like their star up front. You know, they've also got an up and coming linebacker, Parker McKenna, who started every game year. as a true freshman, led the team in tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, and then on the back end too. Mm-hmm. You know, if if Shavon Cordero makes a mistake, if he throws up a pass, you know, there's a guy like Anthony Adams, their safety, who, you know might be one of the best players, period, anywhere two in the big time, sky. Two-time All-American, 31 career yes. breakups, 13. It says takeaway, so I assume that's interceptions, mostly maybe a yeah. fumble in there, but he's a he's a player to watch out for. Yeah, so, which is a long way of saying, like, yeah, we're, it's it's very easy to get excited about this new-look offense. You know, there's all the weapons are there. Cooks, Isaiah Hamilton, Justin Lockhart, Sam Olson, Dominic Pizzotti. But if the offensive line can't get its feet underneath them, it could be a game that ends up looking a lot more frustrating than anybody would anticipate, even if the Spartans do come out ahead in the end. They could, and that's a be a pretty good test as well with the new guys out there running the ball or running the not running the ball, but just running off each other. I mean, running with the ball, mm-hmm. that type of generic uh, nomenclature there. So that that that'll be a good test because. It's like, yeah, you roll over some people, but then it's like, well, how good were you? Is it really a test? This will be a decent-sized test. Is uh, I didn't check, but Portland State's not in the FCS top 25, are they? Yeah. Okay, so it should still be a fairly convincing win. Plus, the defense for San Jose State, we want to see guys like Kate Hall and Fajoko back there do really good things. So that could be an area where they can just probably, in my opinion, Portland State's going to have difficulty move the ball because their defense – from what we've been discussing, seems to be more of their strength. They do have yeah, Andrew Van Buren from Boise State transfer running back, and he's fine, but eh, not enough. Yeah, and I think the, the more interesting question for Portland State is, you know, we talked a lot about the defense, but they've also got a very good wide receiver in Bo Kelly as well. 
Um, him, yes. You know, last year, 69 catches, 986 yards, 10 touchdowns. But at the same time, they're also having to replace their longtime quarterback, Davis Alexander, who, you know, other than Neil Lomax might be the best quarterback in Vikings history. And, and so, you know, Dante Shashiri, who coincidentally enough, I believe he's a Fresno native, um, you know, won the starting job in a competition through ball camp is a little bit of a dual threat guy. So he'll have some pieces around him to work on, but I think, you know, to your point, that's the other thing I want to see too, is, is whether the Spartans, especially the defensive line can take that first step back towards being a great pass rush as opposed to just a good pass rush, which I think is more of what they were last year. So what do you think the result will be? This should be, well, if you had to put, put money on it, what's going to be the bigger margin of victory, this game or the Fresno game? Oh, the Fresno game easily. Okay. Just make it sure. I want to get some context of when we're looking at this. I think, or what did what did um, SP Plus say? You get those projections out for everybody. So SP Plus, they they give San Jose State a fairly comfortable margin. They project the Spartans to win by seventeen point three overall. Only that's it, seventeen point three. Yeah, I mean Portland State might be a. I mean maybe they aren't like anybody's idea of a like a front runner in the Big Sky, but they might be pretty solid. Like they could they could cause some waves. They might score an upset or two. Okay. All right. Now I'm I think San Jose State's going to win. Pretty, well, I was going to say I think San Jose oh. State's going to win pretty comfortably, though. I didn't get my oh, final but, score, oh, which is either. thirty-five to twenty-one. I'll go thirty to ten. No, I'll go thirty right, to thirteen. Thirty thirteen. All right. Saturday go. morning, breakfast football, Matt. Nine a.m. local time for you. Colorado State traveling to the Big House to take on number eight Michigan Wolverines. Only thirty-eight dollars if you want to go to the game, Matt. Just FYI, if we want to get out there. Interesting. <laughs> or, if the, or if you're in the area, this game, 30 point favorites, 30 and a half, excuse me, for Michigan on ABC. If I didn't mention that, ABC on the game, decent weather, 80 degrees. So, this the biggest entry in this game, it's also kind of a big kick in the face at Colorado State. Jim Harbaugh um, is playing, I kind of want to be a college head coach, but I really want it to be an NFL job by saying the quiet part of all, oh, like this is a non-conference game or preseason game. So we're going to start um, Cade McNamara this game, but not next game when they play Hawaii, just because he was last year's playoff starting quarterback and wasn't all that good, in my opinion, because they're led by defense, obviously. So that's an interesting thing to see if he'll actually switch these guys out or if he stays to his word. But that's kind of the most interesting part of this game, kind of from the story. I think outside of, I like Norvell, obviously him coming in to take over what they're going to do. But can you imagine what's Clay Milling going to do with retro freshman first career start playing in front of a hundred thousand people? That's going to be pretty wild. That is a very good question. And I think a lot of it is going to, I think a lot of it is going to depend on how well this new look Colorado state offensive line can keep Michigan's defensive line off of Milling. Because you know, we knew one of the one of the big narratives for the Wolverines coming into this year is you know they were great last year. You mentioned the defense, and a lot of that came down to Aiden Hutchinson, who's now with the Detroit Lions, and David Ajabo, who is with somebody I can't call right now. But both and of those NFL guys, <laughs> yeah, yeah, both of those guys created a ton of havoc last year. And they lost seven to say starters. They, yeah, which is not to say that they can't do it again. But they are definitely reloading up front. You know, they've got like, you know, Massey Smith, Mike Morris, you know, uh, 
you know, Chris Jenkins. And then interestingly, you know, they've got a true freshman in the mix, you know, Mason Graham, who I was looking at, you know, the roster, I was looking at sort of Harbaugh's discussion of, of the depth chart, which is to say, like, he didn't actually release a depth chart, but he talked about it. Cool. Which is also kind of strange. Um, but I'm willing to give him a pass because he led the Ford Anniversary Super Bowl. Anyway. Stop it. <laughs> this guy, Mason Graham, is like, he's six foot six and 318 pounds. Or excuse me, boy. six foot three and 317. Close enough. Big boy. Yeah. Going up against a, a, again, a new look Colorado State offensive line that I don't think is, has a single projected starter back from last year. Like they've got, you know, guys with starting experience, but, you know, Dante Keys and Dante Bivens were both transfers from Conference USA, I believe. Uh, Jacob Gardner played left tackle at Nevada for Jay Norvell. Now he's their starting center. You know, Greg Davis played guard at Nevada, but now he's, you know, brand new in Colorado State. And then they have this redshirt sophomore, Brian crespo Haquez, where, you know, he's going to be making his first career start in this game. And so that's a big ask for that unit as a whole. And I think that, you know, Colorado State has the talent to be able to maybe make some plays, especially if they can give Millen time to throw down the field. But it could also just as easily, you know, crumple in on itself if they can't keep that, you know, front seven off of his back. Yeah, that's going to be a problem. A new guy, so you got to find a running back who's going to catch the ball. New offense, which we know – here's the, here's the good thing about that. We see what Jane Orville does, the offense. I know they had uh, Romeo – what's his – whatever you want to call him, Romeo Dobbs, Dobbs from last year in Nevada. Mm-hmm. That's the only guy they're going deep. With them spreading the ball around, they're going to get rid of it a bit quicker than maybe a traditional offense. That's a plus there, where if the offensive line being a little bit quicker or new and not necessarily as beefy, which – has its drawbacks and its plus. Remember, during the late 90s, Denver Broncos, or early 2000s, they did like that zone blocking where they wanted more athletic guys up front, not comparing the two, but if you're lighter, it's like Air Force, you're a bit quicker, you can push the guy, you can move and knock the guy before they get to you and just knock you over. So there's mm-hmm. a, there can be a benefit or scheme-wise to being more athletic or not even as heavy where, yeah, it helps if you're 310 in an offensive lineman, but if you're reasonably athletic and quick, you can get the quick shot off the guy and maybe help your team just enough. And with them wanting to throw the ball more quickly to half the Nevada team on this Rams offense, that could help Clay Millen a lot, but I don't know, man, like they, if they can't just start the game where they're just throwing and throwing and throwing, they have to get everybody, the running game and passing involved to make that defensive line, a uh, neutralize it a little bit to keep them honest. But one thing is I do have a Q and a coming up with the guys from um, Wolverine's wire. They mentioned the one issue because I asked them, like, what area can they exploit for like, the Rams? Like, where could they make some noise and do something good? And they basically mm-hmm. mentioned the linebacking group is not all that great. So there's a chance, like, in that part of the field, maybe they do underneath stuff, tight end passes, or just kind of a running back slip where he blocks and just kind of goes and turns around at five yards on the field. They said mm-hmm. that type of area is open and could be – damage could be done if they can get the ball and attack that part of the field. So – most likely the passing game or if they can get some running plays where they get past that first level. So that seems like an area where they were not as confident overall. And plus, like we mentioned, losing seven defensive starters, number two NFL draft pick overall and other NFL caliber players, but they're the big 10, their depth. They have that with the type of guys they recruit. It might be inexperienced guys, but they're like you mentioned, they're big. They have a few guys back who are really good. 
like he mentioned, a couple guys. Uh, let's see, this is defense. That's offense. Sorry, I'll get to that in a moment. But they have guys. I'm assuming you're probably talking about guys like like Junior Colson. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was looking. Yeah, I was just looking. Yeah, I was looking. At, I was skimming his email, and I'm like, I thought that's the defense. But yeah, the guys are returning, like Junior Colson. It's inexperienced, so that could play a potential get a few plays here or there if the guys didn't see much time last year. But at the end of the day, they'll like wear down this Rams offense and they'll be, I wouldn't be shocked if Clay Miller throws 50 times in this game just because they're I mean, trying to try and do something. Well, the other thing is too, is like, you don't think of Michigan as being like the most explosive offense out there, but they very well could be if the Rams defense can't, you know, find its feet, can't find its footing either. And that's to me maybe the the other big mystery about this about this year's Rams team is you know, they were so good at generating a pass rush last year. What are they going to do now? You know, and and I think we have a sense of like who they expect to step up in that regard you know, because they moved Muhammad Kamara, who was primarily a linebacker over the last couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. Now he's a starting defensive end. Um, you know, the same thing with like a, a your Rutgers transfer, CJ Onyechi. Um, yeah, I think those two guys in particular are there. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe a little bit unfair to ask, but you know, you're talking about, you know, going up against a, a Michigan offensive line that I think, if memory serves, they were the unit that won the Joe Moore Award last year. And they're the returning best. four starters, including, you know, guys like Zach Zinter, who was an all conference guy. They brought in Virginia transfer Olusegan Oluwatimi. You know, these are like, this is a seriously talented group up front so like even if the wolverines didn't necessarily want to do anything particularly exciting you know yeah they're losing Hassan haskins out of the backfield but they also bring back their second leading rusher left from last year blake forum who oh by the way <laughs> averaged over six and a half yards per carry and ran for almost and ran for over 900 yards and then and then if they do want to you know attack deep that's where you know they get you know roman wilson Who's you know I believe set to be a a, a full time starter now. They get Ronnie Bell back from injury, uh, and you know the last time we saw him before he got injured last year, he was catching a seventy five touch a seventy five yard touchdown against Western Michigan in their opening game. Hmm. So we know that they can be explosive. I'm going to be really interested to see how they choose to attack this the Rams defense though, especially since, as we mentioned at the very beginning, they're still going through a quarterback competition. But they're sticking with one guy, so it doesn't matter. Well, the, the, yeah, you say that, you say that, but also, like, if you, if you, I thought I saw some quote that he had where I thought he the saw something or, or whatever. I can't remember. If, I can't remember if it was in this article that I read on Wolverine's Wire or whether I saw it on Twitter. But I think he said something to the effect of leaving every possibility open. So while McNamara is starting in this game and McCarthy will be starting next week versus Hawaii, which we'll talk about at that point. You know, he's leaving it all on the table, which I guess I'm not surprised by, but I think it is interesting that that more or less acknowledges that they perceive Colorado state and Hawaii as being roughly similarly talented defenses. No, no, I think it's just two games. They know they're going to win. So it doesn't matter. I guess there's more than one way to look at it. That's just how I saw it. Yeah, well, you're not wrong, but it's like, well, we could win with either quarterback, so it doesn't matter yeah. who we start. So that's the slap in the face of the Rams as well. It's like, or in Hawaii. It's like, but yeah, it's, uh, 
It's going to be all, a, it's going to be a tough assignment for the Rams all the way around. One thing too, it's interesting. Like this is like a obviously it's extended trial. Like stuff I mentioned with certain teams through the mountain. I was like, why not do this? Like this is not honestly, this is not the worst idea in the world. It's actually a brilliant idea because a he there's an article up right now over at Wolverine's Wire and quotes from Harbaugh saying he he wants to keep players happy and he doesn't expect either to transfer if they don't win the starting job. I know the redshirt rule is different. He can play four games, but if you allow them to play and give them a fair chance, and it's already partway through the season without naming the starter, that's half the reason, 90% of the reason these coaches don't want to give up depth charts so they're not going to name a starter and don't even tell the team until like very close before kickoff that people can move and leave. And if you, is a guy going to leave mid September if he's not the starter? Probably not. He's probably at least going to stick it out and then maybe at the end of the year and things can change. He can change his mind. Yeah. He convince him to stay. So that's honestly, that's another motive in his mind. Well, well I'm going to stretch this out even farther where they're not going to want to transfer. And if they do, they're not playing for anybody. If they stay here, great. I got another guy who's probably a former four or five star guard quarterback. But leaving it everything open means they're not, I, odds of them pulling it in and just handing the ball off in the fourth quarter may not be the case because they want to see what these guys can do. And they might just make up random scenarios on the sideline to be motivated to work on different plays. And that means this could be a potential for a big time blowout. Yeah. I hate to say it, but you're probably right. It's if, if it wasn't a quarterback competition, I could see it being a bit closer, not close, but you know, I mean, closer, but with them wanting to showcase what you can do, they're going to want to put up points. A quarterback, um, McNamara is going to do what he can to just kind of say, Hey, I'm the guy and offense scores the points guys. So Mm-hmm. There's the obvious answer where Michigan's going to win this game. Yeah, I hate to say it, but you're probably right. Do you see the Rams' offense being anything exciting or fun in this game, like with what Norvell likes to do? Because once the offense gets going, they can make some plays. But for me, it's too early. Yeah, to I mean, I would I would be shocked they if they couldn't find their end, their way into the end zone at, at least once or twice. Well, they cracked. I just think they. I just think they. They. They brought in enough talent, and Norvell has enough talent on that side of the ball where they should score some. I just find it hard to think that they're going to be able to keep up with the kind of talent that that Michigan has. So they can get, like I said, to get to twenty points. I know. I think they will, but barely. Okay. All right. So, what's your uh, final score? Pre- or what does SP Plus and FBI and all those guys say? So SB plus likes Michigan by a lot, uh, 31 <laughs> and a half, uh, 97% win probability. Uh, FEI also likes Michigan by, uh, by, uh, a lot, <laughs> 27 and a half. And, uh, our guy Parker Fleming at stats of war on Twitter, his advanced stats preview gives Michigan a 98.94% chance of winning, uh, win probability, excuse me. A projected margin of roughly 39 and a half to seven. Okay. What do you, what's your score then? Uh, I've got Michigan winning pretty handily. Uh, I say 42 to 20. I'll go 38, 14. So that means right. they would cover. I think the Rams could cover 30 and a half is a lot of points. 30 and a half. It's plenty. I'd feel all right. putting money on that. Yeah. yeah okay. So we need to text our, it's not legal to bet sports in California, is it? Uh, not yet. Is it close to happening? Uh, there is a ballot initiative in November. Yeah. Okay. It'll never happen for me where I live. So I have to uh, <laughs> wink, wink, nod, nod to people or drive two hours to the Yeah, border. exactly. Right. So, and I, and I know some people. So, 
You know who you are if you listen. I message you text Friday, so be be care, be prepared for that. Next game: Northern Iowa versus Air Force Falcons at the Academy. Wait, are we are we forgetting one? Oh, am I not? I'm going in. No, that's the next timeline here. 11 a.m. Mountain time. Uh, What'd you? Oh, okay. Well, College Press Box has it in the wrong order. Then I was thinking Nevada Texas State was next, but we'll talk about that in a bit. We will. Okay. I, I, I'm usually wrong, so I'm like, wait a minute. What I what I screw up this time? <laughs> oh no, no, no. It's just because yeah. I think there might just just been a typo. Because I'm realizing now it says Saturday, September third, zero thirty a.m. That's not right. Oh, that is definitely not Northern right. Iowa so Air Force. Let's let's <laughs> let's get to that one first. Who would you guess? Okay, this is, I'm going to start off weirdly. Who has more wins, Troy Calhoun or Mark Farley, the head coach at Northern Illinois? Or Northern well, I mean, I already know the answer. I know it's Mark Farley. Oh, okay. For those who play at home, fifth, fifth, the, fifth <laughs> longest tenured coach in the FCS level. And they're currently ranked 21st in the country this year. So this will be a little bit more interesting matchup. He has 168 wins to Troy Calhoun's 111. 16 conference titles. Not him, but this is the team itself. Because this would be really impressive. 22 mm-hmm. playoff appearances, seven trips to the semifinals. So, you know, this team is um pretty good. They're, first they're, ever, a, little, first ever they're a little better than the likes of Colgate and Lafayette, yes. They are projected um, fifth in the um, Missouri Valley, which includes North Dakota State, South Dakota State, Missouri State, Southern, Southern Illinois. Southern yeah, because that, that's, that's like the number one FCS conference in America, right? The Missouri Valley? Uh, them or the big sky kind of rotates. Yeah. Big Sky might have more depth, I think, possibly. But with this game, we know what's going to happen here. You got the experience with uh, – also should be noted on College Press Box, no depth chart for Air Force because, you know, why? Well, okay. So, <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, Calhoun was way ahead of everybody on that one. Don't you remember he put one out before media days? Oh, that's right. Why, do, why is there no link on College Press Box then? Because you know you want to know why it's because it's when you look at their, when you look at their no when you look at their game notes that there is no there is no depth chart within the game notes. Uh, so it was also I, had to, I had to go back to an article from the Colorado Springs Gazette, courtesy of our acquaintance Brent Bergman, uh, for his breakdown of it. Interesting. I have a random question: How did this game get put on altitude? Excellent question. I don't know. Who in the heck gets altitude? I know there used to be Mountain West games in altitude. They used to be like before there were. It's like the basically AT and T or Valley Sports, whatever kind of regional sports network. I didn't know the Mountain believe, West had these one off deals. I believe, however, this is another game that should be available for streaming on the Mountain West network, though. Okay, I'm checking the game notes. It doesn't say that. that's why I was wondering. I was like, hmm. Um. We should just DM our buddy Jesse Kurtz. Like, hey, is this game also on TV? I know I want to hear you on the radio, but it's also on TV <laughs> somewhere streaming. But yeah, so we'll we'll look at this more. But minimum altitude, which probably means, likely means, if you're in the mountainless footprint, Colorado specifically, you should be able to pull this game up on your pay TV. Yeah, at least. and I, I can confirm it is streaming on Mountain West Network. So if nothing else, you can just, I mean, it, we'll, we'll, of course, I believe have the link in uh, in our guy Sean's game preview. Uh, but failing that, if you don't have access to it, you can just go to vmw.com slash watch, and you'll be able to find it on their calendar. And cross your fingers, it's not geo-blocked if you're in that area. However, I don't think they do that, that, though. I think they used to. But if it's on, well, maybe they I'm saying used that to. Could, because if it's on altitude, that's why it might be. 
That's why I'm mm. only suggesting that's a possibility. Because remember, you, we on the AT and T Sports Net games, you or I had weird options to watch or not watch the game. That's true. Yes. So, no, okay, we'll see, here, here's we'll the thing, though. So, but I do want to circle back to something you mentioned a minute ago, where you say we know what's going to happen. Yeah, they're going to the ball. Know that, <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Well, yes, <laughs> but I don't know if that's necessarily a foolproof statement because if Northern Iowa does one thing well. It is they play defense. They do. And it makes for a very interesting matchup because, you know, despite the fact they're replacing the conference defensive player of the year in Jared Brinkman, you know, they have one of the better all-around cornerbacks anywhere on the FCS level, Benny Sapp third, um, you know, Spencer Trevelier, both uh, both were all-conference guys themselves. You know, both are very talented in, their, in, the, you know, in that unit. And then, you know, up in the trenches, they have Caden Howtelling, it's had a breakout year last year, 10 TFLs, five and a half sacks. Um, you know, they had, you know, two other guys, Devin Rice, Rice Flater, each had six and a half TFLs as well. So all of which is to say, like, this was a top 10 unit in the FCS level last year. You know, they were 10th in yards per play allowed, uh, 13th in points per game allowed. And that's, let's not forget, like, they put a scare into Iowa State last year. They put a scare into Eastern Washington, both of which, you know, on the whole had pretty good offenses in this game. And so, like, I don't want to like call it a red flag or anything like that, but, you know, to, to say that we know Air Force is going to be able to run the ball effectively, Northern Iowa has the talent and, and the coaching to be able to, to maybe turn it into a fist fight that they can win. Maybe because they only gave up 18 points a game last year. Exactly. And well, Air Force defense, I know the different guys returning, but they only gave up, they gave up just under 20 and 19.8. So mm-hmm. this might be a low, I don't, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be a huge like blowout. Air Force will be fine. They'll, here's the thing they'll eventually break through. I'm predicting them to win this game. I don't see that being an issue, but this might be a little bit more resistance than Falcons fans might want. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really interested to see what the passing game looks like. They because lost we knew that they, yeah, because they tended to lean on it more than their, you know, their their academy counterparts, you know, Army and Navy. But like you mentioned, you know, uh, Micah Davis has moved on. You know, uh, obviously DeAndre Hughes is, I think he was listed as a wide receiver on the roster last year. Uh, now he's the starter at tailback. So while you have, you know, Dane Kinnaman still around, you know, most of what he does best is, you know, as a as a tremendous blocker. And so one guy I've got my eye on is this other guy that's now in the projected starting lineup, Wyatt Wilson, who, yeah, at least physically, he's six foot three, where Mike Davis, I think, was like five nine or five ten. So very much not the same kind of guy. And so I'm wondering if they expect him to be someone who can stretch the field in that same kind of, you know, Gerard Sanders, Jalen Robinette type, you know, uh, element to the game. And in that case, who do they use to attack the edges? Like, do they do they lean on Hughes a little more often, or you know, are they happy to just give it to Brad Roberts twenty five times and hope he can rack up like one hundred and twenty five yards or something like that? Yes, I have a feeling that you know, despite having a you know a very talented offensive line, having you know key pieces back everywhere, I'm st- I mean, I have this feeling and call it a hunch that they might lean on the fullback dive a little less often this year than they did last year. And I think that's because 
they have different options at their disposal this time around that they might that they might feel good about. Yeah, that's the one thing I want to see as well because that is always like who's going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. So hey, this is a good game to do it, but at the end of the day, they're going to win. Like FPI has an eighty-seven percent chance to win this game. So, yeah, I mean, uh, SP Plus gives them an eighty-three percent chance to win this game. They favor the Falcons by sixteen point eight. Not a ton. Yeah, so if, I think Air Force uh, will win. I think they'll win comfortably. I don't think Northern Iowa is going to make it easy, though. I have them winning thirty-one to twenty. A little bit. I, I see almost. I think it's the amount of points. I'm going to go thirty-one thirteen. What the Because I think at some point it'll get that. Sorry. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Next game, we got. What do we do? We got two more games, correct? Before we wrap up part one. Uh, yes, that is correct. Let's do Tulsa or let's do Tulsa Wyoming real quick. We'll do that next. Well, no, no, no. That that one's for part two, I think. If oh. we're going in chronological order, we got to do Arizona San Diego State. Well, Texas State Nevada is three thirty kickoff Mountain Time. That's why it's going. Yeah, to uh, yeah. But uh, Arizona San Diego State is twelve thirty Pacific, one thirty Mountain Time. Yes, gotcha. Okay. CBS, regular CBS, the premiere of Snapdragon Stadium, which is uh, apparently the, 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 the new home of San Diego State football. In San Diego, on campus, you can roll out of your dorm room if you're on campus and go to Snapdragon for a 12.30 kickoff, morning tailgate, six-point favorite over Arizona, but the over-under is a San Diego State uh, special, 46.5 points. Not, I should say, not the lowest of the weekend. We'll get to that later. Not the okay. lowest, which is a little somewhat surprising. So, um, Matt, I've seen on Twitter, I'm reading this from on the Pinocchio scale of 10 foot nose to regular size nose. Does Braxton Burmeister run a 4.3? Okay, so I, I think it's I think it's from that, that video game LA Noir. Have you seen that meme that's just like I think it's like the X button and it just has the word doubt. I have not, so but I, I get that point. And it's like and it's like a guy with like a half smile. Okay. Um that you know that that's me doubting that that's actually true. Which is not to say that he's not fast. I just don't think that he's four three fast. I've seen enough ta- I've seen enough of uh, of his highlights to think that he's definitely gonna be able to make a difference with his legs if he can find open field in front of him. Exactly. But, but let's tap the brakes just to touch on that. You know why, real quick? I'll give you some context. You know who's run a 4-3 at the Combine in NFL history, a quarterback? There's one guy. And I'll give you one guess. You'll probably get it. Uh, was he, Was he like, uh, someone who broke the Madden game back in the day? Of course, Michael Vick. There you go. 
that's it. Then there's been like three guys ever. Like Justin Fields is super fast at four four. Again, we're not saying he's not fast, but he's not four three fast. However, also I hope he they do do this because we saw shades that if they use him like this. What did Lucas Johnson do versus Nevada a couple years ago? They ran, used his legs to move the ball around a bit more. Mm-hmm. That is, and and when we saw the game, I I still I still remember we were talking about like both teams are trying to outsmart themselves. They played the opposite. Like, why is Aztecs using a running quarterback? And why is Nevada running the ball more often than, than they do? If, if he is that fast, which he does seem that fast, there's a couple of red flags because he's from Oregon, Virginia Tech, and now here doesn't bode well to be – like, who's a three-time transfer that's been really good? I can't name a single one because they don't, they don't Nick exist. Nick Starkle. Okay, one ever. Okay, one. <laughs> Thank you. What Texas A and M Marcus? Apologies, but uh, but typically we had doubts about him, right? Like I'm not going to give a guy benefit of the doubt who's on his third school. I know Virginia Tech has the coaching changes and all that stuff when Frank Beamer Beamer was in process of leaving. Justin Fuentes there, the coach now. I get all that, but still, his third school is it's very difficult to. Hey, he's going to come out here and be awesome. I'm glad think, to be proven. I'm glad to be proven wrong. I'm just not going to walk in and give the give all this praise to a guy who see, seems athletic, is a quarterback style of quarterback play that the Aztecs are prone not to take advantage of it. Because Lucas Johnson was a guy I thought was good, and they didn't really use his assets the best I thought they could have. I mean, to me, it really comes down to two things, which I think are, are really going to define the season right away against this Arizona this Arizona team that. You know, on paper, at least, looks like it could be at least a little bit proved from what was uh, what was really a disastrous 2021. Yeah. And that's accuracy and health. That's a big deal. I think those, be... th- those are really the only two things that have held Burmeister back from really reaching his ceiling. You know, he's because we're talking about a guy with like a, I think his completion rate for his, for his career is like, what, 50, 56%? Which is, which is offset a little bit by the fact that he can make plays with his legs. But I have to think that with a, with a ball control offense that we know the Aztecs are going to run out in this game. Mm-hmm. With they're not all of a sudden. Sure yeah. They're not all of a sudden going to throw the ball 30 times a game. Like if, if we're lucky, they'll get like 25 pass attempts. But other than that, you know, we, there's a reason they're listing so many running backs on their depth chart. Like, you know, we knew Chance Bell was going to be, you know, probably the, the the lead guy in that unit. And and sure enough, he's at the top of the depth chart. But then they've got Jordan Bird still. We know that they're going to give him a handful of carries per game. We know that they're going to expect that, you know, maybe he hits a home run that flips the field for them or scores a touchdown. And then they've got other guys on the come up, like, you know, Cam Davis, who has, you know, apparently played pretty well throughout spring and fall. He was definitely sort of a change of pace guy, 5'8, 175. Maybe I'm, I'm very interested in whether he is as fast or faster than Bird is. And then Jalen Armstead, who, you know, saw a fair bit of playing time last year, played in eight games overall, but is definitely like the, the, the potential hammer of the group at, you know, 5'11", 220 pounds. Like maybe he's the guy that if they're able to get a fourth quarter lead on Arizona that they bring in to try and slam the door in the fourth quarter. So I don't think it's, I don't think that they're going to put that much on Burmeister's plate, but I think that whatever, whatever they do put on his plate, I I guess what I'm saying, like, is he going to be more like Johnson and Brookshire were down the stretch last year? 
Or is he to be one of those more up and down guys that they've seen in in some other recent years, like a Ryan Agnew type, who oh, no. you know had Not moments say that but, name. Never, <laughs> but 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 to who never really put it all together. That's what I'm saying overall. Yeah, it's game one. We'll see. Arizona also lost uh, Doctor Blitz, whatever they called him. He's a uh, Doc Don Brown, Brown. Don, Don Brown, not Doc Brown. That's a Back to the Future. He's at UMass. So is that? But when you look at Arizona, what they did overall, they went they hit the portal hard on offense because the well, sorry let me back up defensive a lot of questions because i i chatted with jason shear of wild cat authority so we got that q a up later he basically mm-hmm. mentioned like a lot of black lacking of experience losing defensive coordinator so their plan which may be good for some of the pac 12 12 teams that played like uh when they play say oregon state or their for the territorial cup playing arizona state they they beefed up and bulked up their offense in the portal because they picked up uh, Jaden Deloria from Washington State, who was a Pac-12 freshman mm-hmm. of the year. They got the UTEP transfer, Jacob Cowling, wide receiver. And then also, um, let's see, blah, 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 blah. I'm trying to see here. Um, uh, to, I well, they, okay, so they, they picked up McMillan. DJ Williams. MC, yeah, yes, DJ Williams, yeah. Five-star recruit to Tyroa McMillan. That yeah. is going to be very interesting to watch. I am very so between him and Jacob Cowing, the UTEP transfer. I am very interested to see how San Diego State deals with that tandem, because we know Cowing is like maybe the best deep threat receiver anywhere in the country. We saw it at UTEP a couple times last year. Up personal. Well, now that Romeo Dobbs, so, Dobbs is gone, so yeah. <laughs> so, so who draws who? Because you know, in in the in the Aztecs, you know, too deep. You know, they have as the projected starters Dallas Branch, who started four games last year, and Noah Avenger, who started three. And behind them, you know, Noah Tumblin is still around. Des Malone is still around. But you know, Cowing is definitely he's more on the smaller side. He's only five eleven, one seventy five. McMillan, on the other hand, is six foot five, two hundred and five pounds. Like the you know, the Aztecs simply physically do not have someone who matches up with him straight up. And so, knowing that that's the case, how are they going to deal with that tandem? And and I think you know, on top of that, you know, you're talking about an offensive line that's bringing back, I think, four starters from last year, if I'm not mistaken, at least three. Uh, on the sort of all over the all over that offensive line, but you know we we know too that you know Cameron Thomas has moved on. They brought in Justice Tavai. They still have Jonah Tavai, who they kicked out from you know tackle to defensive end to to bookend with Keshawn Banks. So how well are they going to be able to rush the passer without their best guy from last year? I think that there's plenty of evidence to think that they will be fine, but. You know, being fine and being elite are two different things. And I'm curious to see if they can, if they can flash enough elite production to make them a serious threat in the Mountain West. Yeah. Why wouldn't they be? That's a sitting state. Come on. Okay. Well, I say that. I like the, but then I, last, I, I, okay, the but last year, <laughs> sometimes the obvious answer. Yeah. Well, okay. Here's the thing though. Last year with Thomas, they were exactly average nationally in terms of team sack rate on defense, 6.7%. So if you're looking for a potential X factor in this game and going forward, you know, consider for, for the fact that, you know, Arizona, by contrast of their offensive sack rate allowed was below average nationally last year, 7.5%. So 
for San Diego State, like, is is that figure that they had, that 6.7%, is that going to go up without Thomas? Or is that going to go down? Because the talent is there, but we just don't know yet. And, and a lot is going to depend upon that threesome up front. I think also, like, we rattle off all these names, Florida State, UTEP, Washington State. You fre- as we said freshman of the year. We said what's all of them coming? Young guys and guys who never played a real game with their teammates before as Arizona offense. So that's gonna be something like guys. Well, yeah, they could be as amazing like Jacob Cowling, amazing. DJ Williams, athletic, Speedy Luke, stuff, guys like that. These young guys, they haven't played a real game. And asked what do the Aztecs have? Experience. I know there's new guys coming in, but more coaching experience with the uh, Kurt Mannix and uh Let's say Rocky Long. No, Brady Oak there is the head coach. They have the experience. They're at home. They're going to be jacked. I just think, I just don't think Arizona, this is not their year yet. They're going to be better. They're probably going to be better than Arizona State and Colorado, finished behind USC, Utah, and UCLA in the Pac-12 South. I'd say next 23, they're going to be probably much closer to what they should be under, under uh, Jed Fisher there. But I don't think the offense will be gelling in game one against a defense that's going to be really good despite all that new talent. They might break here. Okay, so it's like, so here's a here's a critical test that I think is not. I mean, maybe it's not the most likely scenario, but it is a scenario that is definitely within their own possibility. What happens if the crowd is rocking at kickoff, right? And Arizona races, like maybe they build like a ten nothing lead. Let's say with oh boy, that's all the points of the Aztecs. Ten nothing lead. (laughs) With with like four minutes left in the first quarter, okay. How did the Aztecs respond at that point? Like you know, let's say Arizona comes out and they score on their first couple of drives, force a couple of punts. What happens after that? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm not I'm not pressing you for an answer, yeah. But I think whatever that answer is could shine a light on what this Aztecs what this Aztec team is going to look like for the season at large. If they score, because no Arizona is not going to be as bad as they were last year, and I think you're definitely right about that. But they could surprise in this game, and if they do, how do the Aztecs respond? Because they have the talent, but they're going to have to put it together on both sides of the ball, and, and at least on offense, that remains to be seen. If it's 10-0 at the end of the first period, they're probably like we're fine. It's only ten points. I wouldn't see any drastic change. Like, all right, let's bring. Just do this for Burmeister or let's because 10 points in first quarter. That's not, it's fine to give up. It's not, it's not ideal, but it's whatever. It's not too many. I would think they mm-hmm. would save the plan if they're down. Now, if they're down, say 17 or halftime, then there's cause for concern. They got to change things up because if they get down here, this isn't just precluding only to this Arizona game, but if Aztecs are ever down by 14 points, odds are against them coming back and winning that game just because. They're not an explosive offensive team. They want to win a lower scoring game. That's why the over under is 46 and a half. They would mm-hmm. want to win 30 to 13, 30 to 20. Like that's not a lot of points. They want to win 20 to yeah. 10. So if they're down by two touchdowns, they're going to have to open up the offense. Dave, remember, we haven't mentioned Jesse Matthews. Like he's an elite receiver who doesn't get enough touches. Maybe start slinging him the ball a bit more, but that will be a big test with a new quarterback and a new running back. On this team, so I guess new guys who are starting running back. Most of these guys have played a lot, but if Arizona offense finds its way how how it's going, and these guys can somehow gel, then there could be issues in this game. But I still think it's too soon for Arizona to make too much of a noise in this game. 
So is it time for uh, projections? Yeah, what do the advanced numbers say? Okay, so SP Plus likes the Aztecs by a fair bit. Uh, they give them an 83% win probability, uh, 16.3 points overall. Uh, FBI also likes the Aztecs uh, by a touch less, but still double digits, 11.2. And uh, Parker Fleming at Stats of War gives the Aztecs a 72.38% win probability, uh, projected margin of roughly 28 to 19. What's your projection then? What's your final score? I do think that the Aztecs will win this game. But I think, you know, based off of how they choose to play, I don't think they're, they're going to be able to generate a lot of separation between their, between themselves and a Wildcats team that's likely to be better. So I think the Aztecs will win. Um, but I, I think it's only going to be a one score win. I don't think anybody's going to complain 27 to 20. Okay. You, so you're taking the over by half a point. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm. My only concern about this game, I'm picking Aztecs to win. I'm just wondering how many points Arizona can score if the offense keeps going. They'll break through. I'll go 21-13. So be sort of close, right, but okay. they'll, they'll get the win going. So we've we debated the games because I think our times are not correct. What game we're we doing next? Is my I'm at ESPN.com. I say for years, don't use them for stuff like this. They have Tulsa Wyoming at 12:30 Pacific. Is that the next game we're getting to and wrap it up part one? Because Texas State, Nevada. <laughs> I'm double checking. I'm double checking the game notes to be sure. So, so Tulsa, Wyoming does have a 1:30 kickoff Mountain Time, so which is 12:30 Pacific. So, yes, we'll talk about this one and we'll wrap it up. Okay, so and we'll talk sure. about Nevada. We'll talk about Nevada, Texas State in part two. All right, make good good call. All right, this game is on FS1, 12:30 uh, Pacific, 1:30 Wyoming. Uh, Craig Bull is a uh, Stick with this guy at quarterback, right? Levi, or not Levi, well, that's the old guy, sorry. Andrew Peasley? Is he still, he's, he's still getting a start? I, last I checked, right? That is correct. Um, when's last time Wyoming's been outside of playing Texas at home, which somehow they got Texas to come to Laramie a couple years ago? They're a home dog by six and a half points. Are they that bad? They might be rhetorical. Offense and defense fail to show up. We've already discussed the Craig Bull debacle at quarterback because they don't really know a quarterback. It's like what what do we expect from week two of Wyoming where there were so many issues last week where they didn't even score they they did nothing. Okay, well I think the first thing is they gotta try and keep the running game on track. Yeah, that was their because... best thing they did with Titus Swin. Yeah, which I think is sort of interesting because I, I think Josh Criswell put it out there. Um we, you know, he was looking at some of the numbers from Pro Football Focus, and even though it, you know, at the time it may not have been easy to see, he did note that of any of the teams that played against a Power Five opponent last week, that Wyoming did have the highest overall pass blocking grade of any team. And when I was going back and I looked at that, I was like, "Is that right?" And it wasn't really that Peasley was under a ton of pressure all the time. He was just missing throws. So Craig Bowles said he was like missing guys and he didn't want to put all the blame on him, but also said receivers drop passes too. Or yeah, excuse me, but, receivers didn't think, get open. Yeah, but I also think that, you know, we I, I think I haven't heard anything about Dwyane McNeely's status, but I also know that if I'm not mistaken, Titus Wynn is also dealing with bruised ribs too. So yeah. I have to think they're going to be very careful with what kind of workload that they give him. And, you know, if he's limited at least a little bit, then 
they're going to have to get more from those backups. You know, Joey Brash and DQ James, they need more out of that duo than they got last week against the Illini. So, I mean, I think if I'm a Wyoming fan, that's where I start looking for improvement. Yeah, they're going to do a lot of things to get better in this game. There's not just one, like you mentioned that, but there's not just one thing. They need, like, here's the thing that's frustrating. Like, we'll go, I'll flip over the defense now, but like, they are usually a really good defense and they give up almost 40 points to a team that is probably fighting to be bowl eligible this year. And so that's, and for, and for Craig Bull, as his team or as his staff, he's known as a, let's say, check the defensive coach. And they're giving him 40 points to Illinois it, and it's lost talent like guys are NFL and everything, but they, they usually hasn't stopped this team from being good on defense. So obviously it's a lot of defense receiver, like all the receiving quarterback stuff. If Titus Swin is injured and not able to be reasonably healthy, this could be another long day and it might be 0 and 2 for the Cowboys. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's definitely going to start up front because they didn't really get a lot of pressure on Tommy DeVito last week either. And Tulsa, they're, like, they're not going to blow you away on offense, but they do have players who can make a difference. You know, they've got a, a pretty solid one-two punch at running back between Steven Anderson and Daenerys Prince. You know, Juan Carlos Santana, the leading pass catcher from last year, is back. And and they also have their quarterback, Davis Brin, back too. And so I think one key in this game is – you know, for, you know, as up and down as Tulsa was last year, one thing that really drove their season for better or for worse is the fact that they weren't particularly careful with the football. Like Bryn in particular led the country with 16 interceptions. Yikes. And so I think one thing I'm looking for is, okay, well, if Wyoming's defense is, is going to be as good as I think both, you know, you and I both thought that they would be, it's going to start with trying to find ways to be more opportunistic than they looked last week against the Illini too. Well, yeah, you got it. Because here's the thing. It can't get, to, get much worse than last week. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. If it is, if Peasley goes 6 of 24, there's a problem in this game. You know what I mean? That's if right. If it gives up 40, 45 points, that's a problem. And Craig Bull, in my opinion, is already firm on the hot seat you read what I wrote about Stop knowing quarterbacks because you don't know quarterbacks. But it wasn't – it's not all on Pisa, obviously. So, like, Tulsa, let's move them. They, they're under Philip Montgomery, which I, I'm so shocked. It's his eighth year in Tulsa. That did not realize it's the case. But, yet he has they a losing keep, record. They just keep plugging along. Yeah, 38-46. They were – ended last year in a four-game winning streak, finished, what, 7-5, and five, I think it was last year. Am I correct on that? 7-6, mm-hmm. and six, sorry, excuse me. So, Tulsa, what they're typically known for – and Montgomery's like I, I believe he's the Baylor OC. Like, I think it's RG three at Baylor as a, I believe a long time ago. But he's a pretty good coach, and Tulsa's known because they had Gus Malzahn, they run an offense and all those type of things. Um, the only issue with them on offense, they don't, return, they don't return that much talent on offense or defense. Only four starters back, offense six on defense. Um, however, you know where all their offense comes back, Matt? Passing totals are back. <laughs> they bring back. Yeah. Guys who throw and catch the ball on this team, which, hey, whatever they can get against Wyoming defense is great. And so it's really 88%, 82% of their offense comes back from last year. So despite them only having four starters back, they're all the skill position players, or majority of them, which is good. However, you got to block for these guys. You got to make plays up front. And so the, off- the offense should be good. 
and should be able to make plays when you're going against uh, these teams. But also, um, oh, shoot, I was about to say something. Oh, crap. I just blanked my mind. Um, <laughs> ah, no. Shoot, I honestly, I had something about the offense. I just spaced. I'm reading through the game notes. And I had something to say that wasn't there. I'm like, wait a second. So oh, this is amazing podcasting when you just, that happens to everybody. You're thinking about something and then it just. I, well, you know, the players aren't the only people sorry. running back and form for the season. That's true. I apologize. <laughs> I'm like, it, let's just move on. So, um, well, where's we going to, what do you got in the offense? You want to pick it up and go something from there? Cause I'm about to mention some guys and I just based on what I was getting to. I mean, I, I think I'm more interested in what the Tulsa defense can do because, you know, considering Peasley struggles, you know, Swen being less than 100% and at least for right now, not having many other established answers beyond that. Um, you know, I, I think that this Tulsa defense could pose a lot of problems if Wyoming hasn't fixed anything in practice this week because they were... They better have. Yeah, they like they were above average by a lot of metrics last year. They were, you know, top 40 by points per drive allowed, top, you know, 41st by available yards percentage allowed. And they, you know, they may not be returning a ton of starters, but the guys that they do return were pretty good last year. Like Anthony Goodlow, um, at least according to Pro Football Focus, was the best edge defender anywhere in the American last year. You know, only 28 tackles, but six sacks, seven tackles for a loss. You know, he can attack off the edge and and be the kind of headache that, you know, Illinois didn't really present a lot of last week. Uh, and they also have Tyon Davis, you know, the cornerback, you know, didn't have any interceptions last year, but he did have double digit pass breakups. So, you know, if if he's assigned to Joshua Cops, for instance, and he's able to contain him, then, you know, that poses another potential problem. And then, you know, they also get a couple of starters back from 2020 uh, from injuries from last year. You know, Darren Ray is back from injury. John Michael Terry is back at, at safety and linebacker, respectively. Justin Wright was, I believe, their, their, their leading tackler or second leading tackler. He's back. He could cause a little bit of havoc. Long story short, like, you know, the, the, the Golden Hurricane defense may not have a lot of all conference type guys outside of maybe Goodlow. But given the state of this Cowboys defense, it could be plenty good enough to cause a lot of headaches. Yeah. And if the offense can't get going, that's a problem. And there's nothing to have me believe that this warming offense is going to take the next step. It's yeah. I mean, it's no, I'm sorry. Just week to week and how it wasn't that it was like, Oh, he had some missed tip passes or anything. It was just like, unbearably bad like honestly that performance at QB is one of the worst ever under Craig Bull on the since he's been at the Cowboys and coaching there in Miami arguably the worst ever and like can't get worse but how much better can it get either I don't know and I don't trust it like there's a thought in me I know I can play overreaction have some fun they may not beat New Mexico they may struggle against them sorry no knock against the Lobos but the way they played if they played that, if they had that stat line and style of play, they would lose to every team in the Mountain West last week. Every team in the conference, up and down. Mm-hmm. So what changes is Craig Bull and Tim Polisek going to do on offense for Polisek there? But defense, like what changes are they going to make to get this team to where they 
maybe beat Tulsa or maybe just keep it close or can pass for 58%, which would be at a record high almost for this team. Or are they going to not allow 35 points to a Tulsa, Tulsa team that has most your skill players back and all their receivers back? I guess we'll find out. Like, they have um, rewind receiver Kalon Stokes, who's really, 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 really good. Like, Tulsa has a pretty good history of offensive guys, but he's third all-time in all-purpose yards in, in the school history. 46 mm-hmm. career games, 166 passes caught, 2,500 yards. Kick returns a bit, rushes a little bit. I just – I don't know, man. I just don't see why I'm getting it done against the Tulsa team that – Assuming, especially if the Wyoming defense is similar to last week. There's no way they're beating Tulsa. Interestingly, the projections like Tulsa, but they don't like them by an overwhelming amount. Because it's a road game, perhaps? Perhaps. I mean, I think that does factor in at least a little bit. Like SP Plus, for instance, likes the Golden Hurricane. Only gives them a 62% win probability, though. Uh, a margin of 5.3 points. Um same with FBI. They like the Golden Hurricane too, but only by 4.7. And uh, Parker Fleming at Stats of War, his advanced stats preview gives Tulsa a 75.58% win probability. Um, I don't know if I'm necessarily buying into this projected points margin, though. Uh, it projects Wyoming to score 30 points. What? Excuse me? Uh, but it also projects Tulsa to score basically 40. Some, I mean, somehow... I. I don't think I'm saying no. that. I don't see that happening. No, I'm looking at team rankings here. They have 25 and a half points and 19.4 points in favor of Tulsa. Um, I'm going Tulsa to win and cover 30 to 13. So that yeah, means I'm projecting I mean, Wyoming to get a touchdown, folks, if you're counting at home for the first of the year. Yeah, I think the Cowboys are probably going to scuffle in this one. I don't think Tulsa is going to run away with it. But I think they will end up winning pretty comfortably. I've got them winning twenty to nine. Oh, nine points. So no touchdowns again. So they're still over in the end zone. I guess theoretically it could be a touchdown and a safety. Theoretically it could, but we know that's not what you're thinking. I know Probably not. No. Uh, all right. So that wraps up part one of our preview podcast. So the games, obviously, we'll get the rest of them, including Utah State to Alabama, which is a pretty big deal. Oregon, Boise State would be feisty. But uh, check us back on the feed. We'll be back within 24 hours, I'm guessing. MWR.com. Check it out. We have previews. I have a ton of Q&As that are going to go up by Friday. So Michigan, um, Arizona, Tulsa, all these web, all these teams I reach out to beat writers and guys run, running websites covering these teams. We'll get more info. And honestly, I'll say for myself, Matt, at least better info than I gave today because those guys are experts on their team. So for sure, we'll be back. Yeah, definitely. So we'll be back. Check us out again. MWR, MWC Wire on Twitter for all of your our snarky need, your needs from us where we have some fun and just tweet out a bunch of stuff from other teams and just stuff that interests us in college football and basketball. So we'll see you shortly. Hope you listen to both of these. And hey, week one is whew, it's basically by the time you listen to this, week one may have already kicked off. So you're welcome. Get to watching football, everybody. <laughs>